1: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind, so when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
2: Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. has got
1: the better of it, and he looks to get the better of Spyco. You say calamitous loss away to Watford that hurts our top four chances. I say all the more reason to go for the Europa League. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Hey, look, I look at it this way. Arson is crazy like a fox. If we drop out of the top four race, then he has to go for the Europa League, and then when we win the Europa League, he can hold that up as a massive accomplishment, and everybody wins, except, you know... Fans that go to the games and people that have to watch this stuff and the players that are put in bad situations and you know all that stuff. But we'll come on to that. Um, I am here to discuss what was a fairly typical Arsenal performance, sadly enough, with uh, two gentlemen who I think are just as enthusiastic about discussing it as I am. The first is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello there, indeed. And Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P. And the P is for please. Don't make me watch any more Arsenal away performances. Uh, Clive P-A-F-C, uh, and his name is Clive. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. So um, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but I think our away form over the past year uh, is the same as teams like West Ham and Burnley and things like that. It's not good. Uh, we added another loss. I, I should say we, we snatched uh, defeat from the jaws of victory in this one. Uh, against a Watford team that I thought was dreadful until they realized, like a lot of teams playing us lately, that actually we suck and there's nothing to be afraid of. And once they realized that, they kind of came on to us and eventually got the winner. We'll go through all the events, uh, all the interesting things. I particularly like the segment of the game where all of our players decided to just stop running around and playing football for a while, so we'll come on to that. But let's start at the beginning with the lineup. And Tim, I tweeted out before the game um, what I always do, something negative. But in this case... I think I had good reason. I looked at this lineup and I thought, where are the goals and where are the crea- where's the creativity? Um, you have a player in Lacazette who's probably not going to create his own goal-scoring opportunities in the way that an Alexis does. And in Welbeck and Iwobi, you have energy and running and physical power, but maybe not the uh, creativity to unlock a defense in the midfield. Certainly didn't look like adding any of that. Were you most concerned when you looked at this lineup that, end product was going to be a challenge on the day
3: yeah a little bit a little bit I think um the the kind of story of this is um and I think a lot not all because there's a lot of different things coming together and why we're so poor away from home lately but I think the kind of the main crux of the issue is that Arsene can't live with Ozil and Alexis and he can't live without them um and I'm only really nominally including Ozil in that. Really, this is about us miss, missing Alexis Sanchez in this game because he creates and scores goals. And, um, yeah, we, we didn't quite have enough of either of those. And I think Arson has clearly... I mean, I, I kind of hypothesized at the beginning of the season that Arson didn't want to play Alexis and Ozil together. And actually, the more things go on, the more it just looks like he plain doesn't want to start Ozil. Um, anymore and actually it's not a problem of the two of them, it's it's just Ozil um, which I can kind of understand and I mean the thing is with Ozil and Alexis we have lots of creativity there, we have goals via Alexis um, but we kind of lack structure and so you put players like Welbeck and Iwobi in and they give you lots of structure but they don't give you the goals and the assists, um, really. I, I think that front three, um, Welbeck, Iwobi and Lacazette, looked very interesting in the community shield against Chelsea.
1: Mm-hmm. But,
3: but that's a different game and that's a different team. I think if you want to play a fairly high-pressing game or you want to create turnovers, um, that front three is quite a good one. The problem is you're not really going to get that against Watford. And not only that, but it's all very well that front three being quite good at pressing, quite good at breaking uh, down, kind of breaking lines uh, in terms of the other team trying to get out of defence. But when you're playing Chelsea, it's because David Luiz brings the ball out and he plays it out. I mean, Watford don't really do that quite as much, so there's there's not as much for them to block um, in the first place. So. Basically, we were playing a kind of a high pressing, turnovery kind of front three, um, and that that wasn't the game we were playing. Also, to be fair to them, we we've got that front three who can do all of that, but then nothing behind them is conducive to counter attacking football. Um, Xhaka, El Nenny, they're not really the sort of midfielders you kind of want um, if you're if you're going for like the high press and forcing turnovers mm-hmm. and things like that. So. It it was it just wasn't the right front three for this game. Um, I think perhaps if we'd have, I, I think perhaps his plan was probably let's you know let's go with Welbeck, Iwobi, and Lacazette. Let's be like quite tight. Um, you know, uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say conservative, but let's be compact in the way we attack. And then you know let's bring Özil off the bench uh, for the last twenty five minutes and you know when the game's a bit more stretched and we need to open them up and and to be absolutely fair even though i think we were very pedestrian for the entire game um it just about worked (laughs) yeah 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 i i completely agree with your assessment i was sitting there for the whole game thinking why are watford still standing off (laughs) us yeah (laughs) Why, why are they still doing this because we we did not look inspiring at all it just looked to me like watford were scared to attack us but you know within and I know we'll come on to this later but within you know a few minutes of coming on it it, it basically that nearly worked but the finish wasn't there um and then you know we we kind of capitulated after that but I, I can't pretend I was hugely worried um about that front three I just thought well that's not going to be the front three that plays the whole 90 minutes so I'm kind of prepared to ride it out but I mean it Basically this was a glimpse of Arsenal without Alexis Sanchez and um And Massedozal
1: for an hour. It's, yeah. it's,
3: yeah, yeah. And I, and I Aaron Ramsey Sanchez,
1: for that matter. I mean, it could be 2018 yeah. Arsenal minus anyone we might sign. Haha, ha, LOL.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but I think Sanchez was um was the big miss and uh it it wasn't pretty um without him. But you're right. No or no Ramsey as well. It probably stands to reason we were a bit blunted.
1: Yeah, and and I mean, look, to be fair, we got the goal. It wasn't really through anything we did brilliantly in open play, but we got it and from that point the way we conspired to lose it was pretty bad and some of it's on to the referee which you know we'll touch on Some of it's of our own making. A lot of it's of our own making. But we probably should have been away in the distance. These are games I think you have to take advantage of, though, guys, because when you go away to teams like this, sometimes they're really up for it. They're really at it. And you're on your heels, and you're lucky to get a draw. Some days they're not. And I thought Watford were actually really poor, really passive. There was space for Lacazette to run into. When you encounter a Premier League side in that kind of form, away, you have to punish them. And I don't think we had the players to do it. We... We didn't create anything building the play. What I thought we did all right was when we got the ball off them, we created some counterattacking opportunities, but no one seemed to want to play the hurtful ball, the ball in behind that could really create something. I don't think we got enough from our overlapping players. I'm not sure why that is. Kalasinach had sort of a a non-characteristically poor game, I thought, with his final ball. He tripped over a few. He, He didn't get the pullback right on a couple occasions. But, Clive for me the the story of this game was lacazette making good runs into space no one really being able to find him in a midfield that couldn't break lines that couldn't be progressive that that couldn't deliver the ball into the hurtful areas um do you i mean what, why don't you just give me your assessment of uh, our okay. in possession part of the uh, part of the game
2: So, um, yeah, when when the team came out, the first thing you think is, that looks nice, quite structural. I thought, you know, what for the physical team? They're a fast team. I think they recorded the tallest team in the league now. I looked at that team and thought, okay, that's quite physical. I like the structure, but where's the magic? Where's the quality? And um, and I think we I, we all saw Lacazette make. I'm just going to
1: stop you really quickly. I think you'd have to say that we had plenty of magic. We made a one nil lead disappear.
2: Yeah, okay. exactly. No, no one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Okay. So yeah, we um, Lacazette was making that it, it, that lateral run, peeling in behind, and you could see countless players see him and think, I'm not sure I can make that pass, and just turn inside and pass back to Elneny, who passed back to Shaka, who went out to Monreal, and we go around and around the circle we go, right? So we did play a couple of heavy parties, and we had a chance to get in a few times. Him and Bellerin, the party was quite sloppy, and, and we just lacked quality. And, you know, for all of our meekness and softness over the years, we've always had quality, We've always had quality of ball movement, quality of pass. We may be a little bit um, ticker tacker in the last few years, but when we we have got the ability, we've always had players who can make that pass. And this was an Arsenal team with players who are okay, but none of them are really a, um, a dead cert to make that pass, to have that expression on the pass so the ball stops and doesn't run out into the car park, right? So I felt we were very heavy-footed, very lacking in confidence. And once we scored, we didn't have the urgency to get the second goal. We just sort of went for the motions. And that always leaves you in danger. And, and I keep, you know, as soon as Watford realised that if we played in Arsenal's half, they could be in problems... And the moment they did that, we were we didn't have the brains or the coaching to say how can we get out of here. And it's something that's happened a few times, and I'm sure Tim will agree. When we lose Wellbet, which we have lost Wellbet many times in games, we our ability to get out is is lost. And then we and we need we need to think about a plan to get out of our half when we're being pressed back. And this game reminded me very much of. Everton away last season and Man City away last season. Where first half we did okay, and then the other team said they're crap. <laughs> Let's just <laughs> run them off their feet. Let's just run them off their feet because they're rubbish. And and basically that's what they did. And they just got more emboldened as the minutes went on. And eventually, stole the game.
1: Well, and you know what? Look, Troy Deeney, and we'll come to the comments later, much later. But he said, you know, we didn't fear them. They don't have an aura, and yet they played totally scared. I don't think they looked like a team that trusted their ability to get at us, and they really added very little to the game early. And so, Clive, I guess my question to you is: How much of this is on a manager who seems to have lost his 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 sense of 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 uh, adventure? I mean. This is a manager who used to like to go for the kill, who used to be proactive. And, I mean, forgetting the fact that he never, quote-unquote, did tactics, you know, Manchester City conceded two, but they scored seven. I I think in the Premier League, one point is worth almost as little as zero points, especially against teams like this. All right, if you're at Stamford Bridge, if you're at Anfield, if you're at uh, Old Trafford, fine. But these are games you need three points. I mean, isn't there an argument that the manager lets you down by picking a side like this because sure, it's a sturdy side, it's a physical side, it's got players like Elneny who probably won't hurt you but probably won't hurt them either. Is it incumbent on him to say, screw it, I need three points, I'm going Jack Wilshire, I'm going Mesut Ozil, I'm going with players that have the devil in them, that have the needle ball, that have the final ball. I mean, how much responsibility does Arson take for the fact that he seems increasingly willing to pick sturdy and competent sides instead of adventurous goal-scoring sides?
2: I, I honestly don't think he thinks that way, and I'm not going to make excuses for him. I think we all agree on this podcast that we are. No, that's fair. A, You, you think he
1: looks at this lineup and and sees the way they can get goals and create goals, and doesn't see the deficiencies that it, that he has a blind spot yeah, for? Yeah,
2: I, I, I suppose. It's, I'm, okay, I'm not going to make excuses for him, but if Meza passes that ball into net, which he's which he has the ability to do. Right, but he picked, it, he picked him at 60 jogging.
1: minutes, not not from the start, right? I mean, how yeah, many more re- chances does Ozil get or create?
2: I'm, yeah, go ahead, sorry. This is where I'm going. Uh, this is where I'm going, right? So we had Koscielny just back from injury. We had Erzur just back from injury. We had Welbeck just back from injury. We had Kolosinek just back from injury, and he didn't look very fit. So we had a number of players that were in the red zone We had Mertesacker playing his first league game for two years, wherever he was. So I don't think he could gamble on all of them to play. I just don't think he could. And he chose to bring Ozil on on the hour mark and it nearly nearly worked. So I I think it's purely a fitness thing. We ended up losing Welbeck. We ended up losing Koscielny. And it, it impacted us. It definitely allowed Watford to become more emboldened. And it makes you wonder... I mean, you know, I'm not his biggest fan, but I'm, I must be wondering if you're bringing Welbeck back. You know, he's had a an injury, and then you want to have speed. You know, what, what's to see a Walcott not figure if Alexis is injured? I'm looking at things like that. I'm just looking at replicating the ability to move up and down the pitch. You know. If Welbeck goes out, surely we need to be thinking about adding speed so we can get out. And That was a major thing for me. Couldn't he see we were being impressed? What are we going to do by um, the changes that we made? So I think it's purely a fitness thing. I don't think it was a conservative thing. I think he picked a physical team for Watford. I wanted that. I, I thought Alexis would play. He didn't play. But if Alexis plays... I think we we get that second goal because I just what I really missed was his, him in the build-up. We just look so unintelligent in the build-up play, and I know Alexis is loose on the ball, but he's very visible, very available, and he takes the ball. He's very brave. He buys fouls. He moves people around. He attracts people. He uses overlaps. He just he's just a catalyst for our team, and mm-hmm. without him, I felt. We lacked magic. We lacked bravery. We were a bit average. We were a bit eighth in the table. That's what we look like. And um, <laughs> Well, there's a reason um, for that. <laughs> yeah, and then when Watford, once they realized it, they said, yeah, we're having you. We're having you. You're rubbish.
1: Well, yes, and I, I that's part of my, my problem, Clive, is I think the burden is on you when you play the smaller teams For the first 30 minutes, to put them to the sword so thoroughly, to push them back so aggressively, to dominate them so effectively in their half that the will goes out of them, that the belief in the fight goes out of them. And we picked a side that they could probably keep at bay, that they could probably stay in the match with, and at home to a side that's growing in confidence, they're eventually going to figure out that you can be had. And I think that's kind of what happened.
2: Yeah, it did happen. And, and it's interesting the reaction to this game. I mean, obviously, when Arsenal lose, again, the, the world ends, right? But. Well, I'm going to
1: level with you. Regardless of Arsenal's results, there's a pretty reasonable chance the world's ending anyway. <laughs>
2: okay, exactly. So uh, I, I, it's quite interesting to see the fan reaction online and see who they blamed right so some blame shaka some blame donnelly some blame the manager referee some blame the referee some blame lack of leaders some blame bellerin some you know it, it just went around and around and around and it's becoming it's becoming quite tiresome you know i started to think about i was listening to um people talk about crystal palace fans talk about the atmosphere in the ground and talking about them and they had zero points and zero goals and I, I haven 't talking about the crowd not, in such phrases that I never hear anyone talking about Arsenal crowds. And that's a shame that we've become such a fractious group of fans, whether it be online or in the stadiums. I'm sure Tim's seen many things around the country in the stadiums that doesn't make him feel happy. And, and I, I don't travel around the country like I used to in the olden days. But I wonder about the fan experience. I wonder about the whole aura around the club. From a from a spectating point of view, I'm I'm always looking at about how attractive Arsenal are, and the way we are so focused on the things that are not going right in the club at the moment is not making us the most attractive place to be. It's not making players feel comfortable, and everyone's looking for someone to blame. And we and we can't even agree on that. Right? It's so many things. There's so many great people to blame. And by by the way, I mean I think it's worth
1: pointing out that you know Highbury was called a library long before we were in this rut, and Social media has amplified negativity, but I think, Tim, you'd probably agree with this. Negativity is not a new thing for fans. It's just that social media amplifies our access to that negativity, and then it's a feedback loop where it grows, but I do think the players are somewhat removed from that, and while they know what's going on, I, I, I certainly think that winning more than anything else is what binds a club together and makes the club feel attractive. Now, but before we move on to um, incidents like uh, the goals and and the, the penalty decision and things like that, I just want to spend one more second on the midfield with you, Tim. I mean, we bought mm. Granite Shaka for what's not actually a very big fee by modern standards, but it was meant to be an important addition to the midfield to solve a problem that arguably we haven't solved since Gilberto Silva left. And... This is a guy who plays great long balls and can break lines with his progressive passing. And maybe the defense of him has just continued to be, oh, he needs the right partner, he needs the right partner, he needs the right partner. But on this day, I just felt that you saw how limited he is. I don't know that Arsene Wenger, anyway, can ever play a midfield with someone as limited as Shaka and be effective. No right foot, not very mobile, doesn't seem to... uh, have an awareness defensively of where to be, or the energy, or the work ethic to to help back defensively. He doesn't tackle. Um, I mean, is are you getting to the point where you're starting to become concerned, especially when the partner isn't that sort of Goldilocks magical partner for him? That Granite Shaka is too limited to deliver what we need from him on a, on a game in game out basis. I mean, it's yeah, been a bad think, uh, start to the season.
3: <laughs> yeah, it has been. It has been. I, I think you've got to start asking that question. I think the thing is, Wenger's had this type of player before, um, this kind of left-footed, deep-lying playmaker to open up the angles on the pitch. You know, he had Edu, he had Manu Petit, he had Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, um, he brought Stephen Hughes into the team for a little while. Um, the, the problem is, they all played next to a guy called Patrick Vieira. Um and you know, I I always maintained that Manu, you know, back in the kind of Vieira and Petit days, that was about eighty percent Vieira and twenty percent Petit. That um, that midfield combination, and I I didn't really bat an eyelid when Manu Petit left because I don't think he was contributing very much anymore.
1: So you're saying we don't um, have the Vieira, we don't have the person who played the <coughs> Vieira to to Shaka's um, yeah. poor man's Petit.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, and, and you know, to, like. It's kind of pissing in the wind because there. Of of course, we can't replace you know Patrick Vieira because there isn't one. There hasn't been you know whenever a new midfielder comes through, everyone still calls him the new Patrick Vieira, even though Vieira retired years ago. Um, So it's slightly moot. But I, I, you know, I think maybe Arsene kind of misjudged this one, and he was looking for if he was looking for a long-term heir to Santi Cazorla. I think he probably only looked at one of Kazola's qualities, which was, you know, his ability to spread the play. Um, the difference being, of course, Cazorla could do it with both feet. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I don't, you know, I don't think, I do, th- like, I, I agree with your points about Xhaka's limitations, but they're just so much more exposed in this setup. And we don't have a midfielder that will, that will kind of cover Um, those shortcomings Um, you know Aaron Ramsey is a really really good central midfielder and I mean it says something that Xhaka and Ramsey is the only midfield combination that sort of works and it really only sort of works and you know we've said this many times on this podcast it sort of works just because everything else we have emphatically doesn't Um, and so because it's not a complete shit show and it can be 7 out of 10 you know, we kind of look upon it quite favorably, but it's not, you know, it's not It's not a fantastic midfield combination. It just, it works more often than it doesn't on yeah. balance.
1: It just about gets by.
3: Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and I
1: think it. against teams where we have less of the ball and they push us back into an accidentally more defensive shape, it kind of works because Shaka yeah. can get it deep, give it to some, you know, Ramsey uh, rampaging up the pitch and, and start sort of a counter attack. but that's almost an accident more than a design.
3: Yeah, 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 absolutely. And 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 just nothing else we have really works at, at the level required. And the thing is, um, so I listened, you know, to the Ask cast Extra today and, and James and Andrew were talking about, you know, hitting a pot of point. I think we've all kind of, um hit upon over the last year or so which is w- what kind of team are arsenal trying to be are they a possession team are they a counter-attacking team are they, you know what are they who are they and you're nine times out of ten your identity comes from your central midfield um and and i th- i think arsenal's identity does come from its central midfield In that we don't <laughs> unfortunately <have one. laughs> yeah
1: that's a great point um <laughs> Not a good one. Um, yeah, I think if you ask most Arsenal fans right now, what is the identity of Arsenal, you'd say a dysfunctional midfield. And that's that's kind of weird, isn't it, Tim? I mean, Arsene Wenger, you, you identify with possession-oriented, slick passing control in the middle of the pitch. And maybe yeah. nothing has been more emblematic of the deterioration of the Arsene Wenger footballing way than the deterioration of the midfield, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We we tried to win a league with Ramsey and Flamini. Um, I I appreciate there did, was some. Did injuries, we do it? But well, no. No. All right. And and uh, <laughs> and uh, it was. But even then, it was. You know, it was because like Francis Coquelin got injured. And um, with all due respect to Francis Coquelin, that's that shouldn't be an injury that ends your chance at winning the league.
1: You mean um, Freiburg's it, Francis just... Coquelin? No, probably not. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and it's it's just. Um, I don't, and I, you know, I don't know. We're, we're perhaps uh, hauling over old ground here, but I, I will never. I just don't think I'll ever understand why, why Austin didn't think this was a priority in the in the summer transfer window. I, th- mm-hmm. I think it's just been so obvious for such a long time, um, and yeah, we're we're kind of reaping what we sow there, and um, I, I think a lot of my uh, quote unquote optimism for the season. You know, I don't usually get too hung up on signings, but I was kind of thinking, well, we definitely don't have, like, that's definitely something we don't have inside the club at this moment. We don't have like a proper central midfield, so we're going to address that, aren't we? Aren't we? Aren't we?
1: No. Oh no, we're not. <laughs>
3: and then as soon as as soon as we didn't, it was just like, well, you know, the, basically the best we can hope for is that our six out of ten midfield partnership stays fit and. That's a bit of a kind of a bit pine sky, which is, anyway, by the way,
1: composed of one player who has a terrible fitness track record. Yeah, so you know, yeah,
3: absolutely. So, yeah, you know, it, there you
1: go. It's a concern. And look, I, I was going to dive into El Neni. I don't know that we need to. Every squad has a player like El Neni. You know, he's a safe pair of feet. He, yeah. I, I think, at this point, are we all just prepared to throw our hands up and say he's kind of your tofu player? He just he. Yeah. He is a player you can put on that makes you stable and and secure, and that's about it. And I, I just think you look at Manchester City and look, I'm not trying to reduce Pep Guardiola to a manager who just throws a lot of attacking options out there, but Antonio Conte is a pretty detail-oriented manager by all accounts, and his team's struggling to get the goals. And Guardiola's isn't, because Guardiola throws a lot of attacking players out there. Um, I think... The manager, Arsene Wenger, is going to have to realize that the only way we're going to achieve anything in the league is by picking up three points as often as possible and that we're never going to be great defensively. So securing the ball and securing the defensive area of the pitch while a nice philosophy gets you nowhere without goals and he's going to have to start being more adventurous with his selection is just my take on it. Um, Clive, I think... One, one sort of weird bright spot here is that I thought Per Mertesacker looked like the best of all the defenders on the pitch. Koscielny looked a little off the pace for obvious reasons, um, but Mertesacker was organized. He was in the right place. His positioning is so much better than Mustafi's. He, he scores the header. I mean, with Mertesacker out there, we looked like we had the right kind of leader. You know, the manager talks about Mustafi as a leader and an organizer, which I think is a sham how nice was it to see the captain on the pitch doing captain stuff? I mean, was he the one player for you that came away from this with a lot of credit?
2: Yeah, to Tissany, he's probably our man of the match, right? Um, I think um, I, he, I thought he looked okay, but like many, some, he, he ran out of petrol. He, he ran out of petrol. We just. Well, maybe the he, problem he is just... that he's
1: drinking petrol, because if that's the
2: case, he, he yeah. could be very sick very very sick yeah it could be mm-hmm. he just he, he just physically fell away and um
1: well he, and he's old not, he ha- he doesn't play very often that's going to be the
2: problem yeah with exactly on. he just got caught out I, I I just felt we we spent too much time in our half and and, and I, I could see you could see it, even on the TV you could see that people were just getting deeper and deeper and deeper and didn't have the energy to get out and um and, it, and this is why I was looking for the Major to really do something about that, right? So, per was fine. I thought he did quite well airily. Really. He he recognised quite quickly. No pressure on the ball. Drop deep. Get you running quickly. So, he was arriving that, he was arriving quite early. They kept shoving him down in behind Monreal, which made it difficult for him on his left foot. But he, he doesn't care. He puts it out. Jogs back in. Gets his position again. He knows how to play football, right? He just ran out of energy. Nothing... I, I know all this stuff about Deeney saying that he didn't fancy it. Well, yeah, okay, you free yourself about a bit, Um now you feel like you can have a chat about Arsenal people, and yeah, and we get. We'll, he's we'll getting come on to Dini's
1: comments, but yeah, I, I get you. I mean, uh, by the way, quick credit to Shaka, who we just kicked around a bit. I mean, I thought he was pretty poor and, he, and pretty one-dimensional. He did the, give the corner kick correct, that was uh, that Sacker scored from, so that was one yeah. thing he did well. So then, at, yeah, he did. Do, I mean, do you? Seeing pair play that way, does it kind of make you wonder why the manager hasn't at least tried to give him a little more playing time? Or is it simply that you can't start a center back who is gassed at 60 minutes because that's one substitution that you lose every match?
2: You know, We, we don't know. I think there have been a couple of games where I felt... He was unlucky not to start early in the season. Um, but we don't know the physical shape of him. And I thought he'd look good in the Europa League. The standard's not as high. and um, But with Watford, with Dini and Andre Gray, and you know strong running forwards that take him for long runs, when they go more direct, they're making him run into the channels. I felt he just fatigued towards the end, but he wasn't the only one. I didn't see an issue with him. I just felt... I, I just felt we as a group we just we just ran out of gas and he was mm-hmm. one of those that ran out of gas. Kolosinak ran out of gas, Koselny ran out of gas. Shaka and Nelneni seemed to be very leggy all of a sudden. Um Bellerin started the game promisingly, but the deeper he got, he looked not as dominant physically in his own half, looked much better bursting into the other half. We, we just ran out of zip and energy and, and Murray Saka reflected that but I've got no problems with him um uh, whether whether he can do another game Red star Bill grade let's see I, if I don't he can think do so that. I
1: mean I, I I don't think so <laughs> you know I mean no. I think he's our premier League center back right I, for as long as Mustafi's out and you know I have to say for one like it was nice to see a, a calm organized astute uh effective on his feet, tackling center back as opposed to Mustafi, I enjoyed it. I mean, Clive, the, the the problem for me really came, and I had Ozel as our next discussion point. I'm going to move him back just a little bit to talk about the substitutions. I thought the manager yeah. lost the game when he brought Sherwood on for Lacazette. Now I don't want oh, to present. I don't want to pretend is the word that Lacazette was having the game of his life. But I thought he was making some really interesting runs and no one could find him. Now Ozil's on the pitch. Now you have a chance to combine. We've already seen what Ozil could do when he he gave the ball to Iwobi and and Iwobi had a shot well saved. Let's <coughs> let's give credit where it's due. Gomez did a nice job to get down and save it, or that may put the game away. Um, but it was a chance because look. Here's the way I see it, and, and then I'll turn it over to you since you're the one who's supposed to be answering the question. Um, I, I think we're up 1-0. Watford has to start to come at us a little bit. Ozil's on the pitch. Now there's someone who can find Lacazette's runs and at a time when he's arguably going to have just a little bit more space even to run into than he had, and I thought he had space all day long, and you trust him to finish that chance that he gets, and it gives Watford a reason to have to watch their back door. Um, You bring Giroud on, and the center backs can now play 10 yards further up the pitch. The midfield can play 10 yards further up the pitch. They're not as worried about what's going on in behind them. We lose the pace to run in behind, and suddenly you invite a little more pressure. You invite yourself to sit a little deeper. You have a little bit less threat on the counterattack. How frustrating is it that it seems that Giroud is picked because of the name on the back of his shirt and not what's happening on the pitch?
2: I could not agree with you more uh, I really was disappointing I felt he didn't need to make that substitution, what he should have done was say I've got Welbeck coming back from injury he's my speedster, he gets me out he's my worker down the channels so what I need to do is share the game He uh, Welbeck gets 65 Walcott gets 25 Right and basically that's what he needed to do but he had it in his mind, Jerusalem the first sub regardless of what's happening in the game Given the fact that Watford had us, were pushing us further and further back, this had to be a game to keep speed on the pitch, to keep transition on the pitch. And we've already spoken about the centre mids. The centre mids are what I call platform centre mids. They're people that you when we're in charge of the ball, they can keep the ball moving and rotating. And they've got they both got a diagonal in them and they can they know how to, you know, Tick attacker between themselves and and just pop through the lines. But they're not going to break, they're not going to travel with the ball. So it's going to be longer passes. So you need someone up front that can threaten their back line. And once we lost Welbeck, we just didn't react. And I just felt Giroud came on. He was um, just a substitution that was done before the game. And that's so annoying. We all know it's coming, and the game didn't call for him. Nothing it's no sh- it's no shame on him. If we were one nil down, and we had the other team press into their box. We'd all be crying for Giroud. We'd all be wanting him on there because we need because in the penalty box, he's he'd very very good. But he's not good on the halfway line, right? So, um, and he his layoffs were very inaccurate when he came on, mm-hmm. and he didn't give us any control. He lost the ball countless times. And found himself doing lots of shuttle runs up and down the flanks, trying to make up for his own errors. So it was a it was a wrong substitution. It didn't ha- didn't have any intelligence in it. It didn't feel the game at all. It was just a, a substitution that was written down on a piece of paper, probably two days before the game.
1: Well, here's the thing: you kick it long to him, and he holds it up. The one thing you know Giroud, in theory, should be able to do, is give him the ball. Uh, in midfield, you know, long ball, and then let him lay it on the the runners. But who are even the runners that were on the pitch? Iwobi, and Mesedozo. Like, there's nowhere for that ball to go, and it invites that pressure to creep up on you. Um, so, I yeah, it's just it's really really frustrating. And Tim, I I know you feel the same way. I just want to throw a few statistics out there. I know we're backtracking a little, but just to sort of back up some of the things we're discussing, as far as Murdasacker. Thirteen aerials, one, which really—I mean—that that stood out for me in the game. He he really had control of the penalty area, not just with his tackling, but with his, his aerial duels. And then Xhaka, again, the most touches of any outfield player. He's the guy at the hub of it all. Seventy-six percent passing. It's now he's now in the seventies every game, and you can't have that from the hub. You know, the hub of your midfield. So, lots of problems there. But so, so Tim, you invite the team. To have a go at you when you bring on Olivier Giroud. Do you think that sub, combined with just our inability to press our advantage, was the nail in our coffin?
3: Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I, I completely agree with the comments um, that you both made. That this was a case of, well, Lacazette looks a bit tired, and I have to keep Giroud happy, um, and so I'm just going to bring him on. And you know, we all know that Wenger makes that sort of substitution a lot, where. It's just pre-planned, not really thought out, not really according to what's going on in the game. But even, even then, his other ones, um, I, I don't think were fantastic either. I think Iwobi should have been off um, he, he, quite he a bit. He can't play before.
1: more than an hour. I, it's just crazy no. to me that he played 90 minutes. Now I have to ask, was, was Welbeck injured? I thought that's what... Yeah, he, he, right. yeah, and then, he was. Obviously, yeah, he the kashelny injury was enforced by kashelny cramping up. So, Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to be too picky about those just because he had to take two guys off for injury yeah
3: i i mean i still would have just bought on wilshire for Kashelny anyway um personally
1: well you're um, chasing the game why not right i mean go to go yeah. back four and have at it
3: and and it was clear at that point that you know like what else did we have going forward who else was going to produce something for a shaka or any um, you know, it's, it, it's only really Ozil was the only one you'd look at there. and But he needs to be able to provide for someone and and it's not going to be Giroud because that's, that's not really his game. So um, I, I think the one thing we perhaps have seen with Giroud up front this season, um, you know, in, not in a please save our asses in the last 15 minutes kind of context when we're pumping balls into the box, is that little kind of partnership he had um, out in Borisov with Wilshere when Wilshere was playing in one of those two um, positions behind the striker.
1: The recreate and the Norwich um, goal moments that they had were for about 20 yeah, minutes they seemed intent yeah, on it. Exactly. <laughs>
3: exactly. Someone, someone basically to bring the football to Olivier Giroud rather than try and pump it to him on the halfway line. Someone to take it from the halfway line and bring it to him on the edge of the area. Um, well, because to to connect, I think, to connect the departments.
1: I mean, I think when we're poor, yeah. one thing that really stands out is how our three departments, defense, midfield, and attack, are disconnected. And that was very much the case yeah. in this game. And I totally agree with you that we needed that linking player.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think... You know, I, I'm not convinced at all that Wilshire has the legs to really play like a proper central midfield role. Um, certainly not on a on a regular basis. But I was quite interested by what he did in Borisov. Um, and, and I do think that with Giroud there, because they they, cause they've, they kind of suit each other, um, actually, in kind of popping off passes around the edge of the box. They both really like that. And I, I just kind of thought, well you know let's let's bring a bit of that into the and it's it's not something that um, many teams know about i know um, marco silva's a very fastidious manager um, but i really doubt he'd have had a plan to cope with that you know it was it was a little bit of i mean what are your subs supposed to bring you other than like a bit of freshness not just physical freshness but freshness of imagination of approach and you know none of none of the subs really did that And, uh, you know, I know with Wilshire in particular, he's a guy who came to the academy. We've not really seen much of him in the last few years because he's been out on loan. And, yeah, there is, you know, everyone was singing his name the whole of the second half in the away end. And a lot of that is because of that, because he's like a young local lad and the rest of it. But I I really, really did think that the last kind of half an hour or at least 20 minutes of that game was, was just made for him when Watford started to come on to us a little bit. I really, really think that um, it would just diversified our approach a little bit. You know, Watford would have got quite comfortable having, you know, the likes of Iwobi just kind of dribbling nowhere um, in front of them, and and you know, he his legs had completely gone. There was there was an incident I think where um, he kind of went for a little dribble and he fell over in the box, not because he was fouled, and then like he just didn't get up. He just stayed on the ground in an offside position. And uh, it was kind of right in front of us in the away end, and everyone was furious at him. Um, and that's when you know the Wilshere chance started again because people wanted it won't be off the pitch at that stage, and you know it won't be completed ninety minutes. And it's yeah, all right. In in many respects, it is unfortunate that, that Welbeck and Koscielny, two players who've been perhaps rushed back from injury, went off. But I, I don't know. I you know he really got the Giroud one wrong, and. Um, You know, he didn't give himself, uh, you know, good enough. And even when he was going to bring Wilshere on, there were about, like, three minutes left at that stage. So, really, what would he have done at that point? So, I I don't know. I I feel like this happens quite a lot, to be honest, where Arson just doesn't react to in-game situations. And so we get, you know, off the back of a cigarette packet substitutions.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, Well, and I mean... It is frustrating to me because I also think Giroud has been pretty poor this season. Look, I've been known to kick the guy, and I, I I don't mean it, but like this notion that because he's stuck around long enough when we didn't address the center forward position to score 100 goals for Arsenal, I mean Theo Walcott stuck around long enough to score 100 goals for Arsenal. Like I, I'm not saying Giroud isn't a quality player, but this is a guy that the manager likes, and I just don't see how you could have looked at the pitch and what was going on in the pitch that day and said this is the this is the change I have to make. And all too often. We see that. Um, it's not to say that he can't come on and score goals, but how do you affect the game? Look, anyone can get lucky scoring from luck. That's not fair. Let me rephrase. Anybody can come in and score a goal, but as Tim has often said, goals are overrated. It's how you affect the flow of the game and what, what the game is crying out for, and that leads us to mess at Ozil. and Tim, when Ozo came on, I thought the space was opening up, and you saw it. He He's... He's on the pitch two minutes, and he's got a Wobian on goal, and he's got himself set up Mm. for a goal. And I realize that Mm. what happens right after he fails to convert that chance is that we concede the quote-unquote penalty, which we'll come to in a second, um, that that equalizes. But when you have Mesut on the pitch, I mean, when is the manager going to let us see what kind of partnership he can have with, with the intelligent running and finishing of Alexander Lacazette. What what is it going to take for us to see that partnership develop? Yeah,
3: it's it's a weird one, isn't it? Because you know I said at the outset of the podcast, you know he, Arsenal in many ways can't live with Özil and can't live without him, and we saw why. Like you say, like his first action puts Iwobi through on goal. Second action, you know he it's that's a really really poor miss. But then there's also another really poor contribution when in the build up to what winner, the ball yep. comes out mm-hmm. to him and you know he makes no attempt um to shield that ball properly it's 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 not even half fast. Um, and then it rolls off I'm his sorry. foot
1: back to Watford yeah
3: yeah and I'm sorry you don't get away with that just because oh it's not my game to do that do you know what fuck off it's everyone's game everyone's game is to attack and defend everyone's game is to help the team the centre backs don't get away with just launching the ball out of play and then looking round at you know the midfield and going, we're defenders. Why do you want us to help build play? It's not our job. They don't get away with that. So I don't care. Um, Mesut Özil does not get away with not doing his bit. You know when he's in a position to do so, when he's you know he's actually got back, he's got himself into a useful position. He doesn't get away with it because he's Mesut Özil and he's he's a brilliant creative player. Like that's just not acceptable. And and so that's that's why you see the quandary. That's why that's why he's not starting. But then you look at the the two guilt edge chances that, um, you know he creates, and and you know the the finish is really really poor for the chart for his chance. But the movement is excellent. Um, you know that that the, the pass from Ruwe is an obvious one because the movement is so good and he's got himself into such a good space, and um. You know, it's 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 a bit sliding doors. He could have, he could have won the game for us in an instant on a couple of occasions, and then he ended up actually kind of contributing to us losing it. So,
1: I do think yeah, it's telling, it's, though. I mean, look, I'm I'm not exonerating him for the things he does poorly because he does those mm. things poorly, and he has done those things poorly. But the fact that within the first two minutes of being on the pitch, he created the kind of chance and arrived onto the kind of chance that we hadn't had the whole game before he came on. I mean, yeah. Bringing that's, Giroud that's on, exactly, not not yeah. to double down on that, like like you have to you have to put your players in the position where their strengths are magnified and their weaknesses are diminished, right or minimized, yeah, right. I mean that that's management. Management is about building team structure around the strengths of your players and and trying to hide their weaknesses. I mean all all kinds of mercurial attacking talents have weaknesses. Arson just seems intent on bringing Mesedozo on in game situations with players around him. And and it's not an excuse for him, but that seemed to accentuate the negatives.
3: Yeah, yeah, and and you're right to point out that you know when he creates that chance for Wobey, we hadn't created a single opportunity of that ilk for the whole game. Like it's not like there were a couple of those, and he came on and created one. Nobody got put through on goal. Um, nobody. I, I'd love to see how many passes we completed in Watford's penalty area prior to Erzum coming on. Um, I'd wager it's in single figures. So, you know, it's instant. That difference is absolutely instant. But you're right, like, you know, putting him next to Iwobi, so, so with those two positions behind the front three, I thought it was relatively clear that Welbeck is kind of the backup to Alexis and Iwobi is kind of the backup to Ozil, um, in that they, they both almost, in their own um, kind of idiosyncratic way, you know, Iwobi's the prober and the creator and Welbeck's the striker. Um so they kind of like genuflect those roles. But then you know, he puts on Urzul next to Uwobi and it's a bit like, Well yeah, well now you've got two really similar players next to each other and you put Giroud in front of them. Um and and you're quite right, like I I don't really understand why why you don't give Lacaza at least ten minutes with Urzul because that ball Urzul plays for Uwobi. Um, it is, and it's not a bad finish from a No, it's a, really a great save. save. It's low. It's but, to the
1: keep. It's to the far post. It's just a good save.
3: But I bet Lacazette scores that. I bet um, you know. I bet he finds the finish there because he's an yeah. excellent finisher. We and saw it against really Stoke with availed. the disallowed
1: with the disallowed goal. Yeah. I mean, he he just needs that one chance. I I just feel that he's the one guy you know in that squad that that looked like someone who's going to score a goal. You have to leave him out there.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like what. What could he have done with one through ball um, like that from Mesut Ozil? But we we didn't give him the chance to do that. And instead, we replaced him with Olivier Giroud, who has qualities, but um, his qualities aren't running onto through balls. To
1: me, he, sorry, go, fin- finish that. I apologize.
3: Yeah, I was just going to say, like, Iwobi doesn't have a good relationship with Giroud either for the same reason. So it, it was just, you know, he, he kind of, he just made it, totally dysfunctional with those changes.
1: I think the reason you can make an argument for playing Giroud when you're chasing the game and need a goal is that that team starts to sit a little deeper. They start to pack Mm. the box and you're going to start to play long and more direct. And there's no better player to have on the pitch when you're playing long and more direct than Olivier Giroud. But in a game where they have to come on to you and the onus is on them and you're away and they need a goal this field gets more stretched. That's where Giroud has n- no use, but worse, he emboldens the opposition to play five, ten yards further up the pitch. And th- we saw that. So then, Clive, the last... So, so let's talk penalty really quickly. Look, I think this is one of those weird situations where I don't know that I'd call it a dive. I don't necessarily have a problem with him not being banned for simulation retroactively, retrospectively, whatever. I, having said that, the pull on Lacazette or was it on Welbeck? I guess it was on Welbeck. Um, is more of a penalty for me than the one that was given. I mean, I think t- Tim. I know you hate discussing refereeing decisions, but like, mm, yeah. n- none of us think this was a penalty. All right, I agree. I, I assume, right? That it's not called. Yeah, call. Yeah, he, okay. he, he
2: maximized. He, he, okay. he was a dive, right? So, but, but
1: here's my question: Where is the where is the pressure the team puts on the referee? Where's the team unity? Where's the response? I mean. How often do you see this with other teams, where the referee is like basically hounded about the decision? Now I realize no referee has ever changed his mind before, but to, where's the fight? Where's the teamwork? Where's the where's the group of guys that are all battling for the points? Did you see the response of a team to that call to get Bellerin's back to to have each other's back?
2: No, the, the, the sort of the action felt like it was a, a little bit of mini shock. It was like okay, yeah. where where. We're not going to allow this lock back in, are we? And it was like, okay. Then the sort of the the fear sets in, and the the mental memories come back in the previous occasions when we've given goals away in the second half. And then and I just felt that just enveloped us, you know. You know, we're asking Bella in to shout and scream. Uh, he's just he's just a kid. And you know. Where, where's our you know who's is Kachelle going to do it? He's silent. Right, Mertesacker not demonstrative normally. Um, Shaco's too busy catching his breath. And same for El Nenny. I mean, you look around the group and So you don't where, think Mesut Ozil's is, is gonna
1: run up there and be his champion?
2: <laughs> no, I don't think he'd be throwing pizzas around at Alex Ferguson and stuff like that. I just think um it is what it is. We've got these wonderful, beautiful technical players need a perfect scenario for them and we can normally see it happening when we see a kickoff and the other team drops into their half i just sit there and smile and think oh, we're gonna beat you today and if you stay there long enough we're going that we're really gonna beat you and it's only when teams press us back into our half that we do stupid things and we don't understand how to play on the counter-attack and um, we've lost a couple of those counter-attack players and you know, for I know we can't mention his name, but oxlade is one of those counter-attack players. Theo's one of those counter-attack players. Alexis is one. Erzl's one. Those players that love to transition, love the spaces to run into, and. We didn't have many of those players on the pitch, right? And we did in Urza when he came on, and the quality index went through the roof immediately. And it made Watford look incredibly average in that five minute spell. We didn't execute, we let them back in, and we are where we are. The penny is what it is. I don't, to me, I don't want to talk about it because it's an obvious dive. Where he was to get, you know, I, I, with referees, the first thing you look for is when both feet come off the ground from one tackle. And that's a, that's a classic thing. You, you flicked yourself forward. The should know that. But we were so far into our box by this time. If it wasn't a penalty, something else was going to happen. I'm not sure they'd have won the game, but something else was going to happen. We were going to concede. And it felt like this was an eventuality that something was going to happen, and we just accepted it.
1: Yeah. Uh, was that the end of your thought? It ended
2: abruptly. It surprised me. Yeah, okay. it did. It did. <laughs> um, I don't. I, don't, I, I well, honestly don't like. I don't like talking. You no,
1: know, I, I. Well, um, all right. So, so let me ask you this: What happens after the penalty is kind of shocking because the the energy and the effort and and look, I don't love talking soft factors, and we'll talk the hard versus soft factors thing in a minute. But for that final twenty minutes, they really came at us. They had a go at us, and I think we have to come to their second. Look, maybe we're tired from international break. Maybe we're a little bit rocked mentally by them getting the equalizer in in uh an inequitable fashion, but the reaction to the way the the, the, rea- the way the second their second goal was scored is scandalous. And you can watch that video over and over and over again. Granit Shaka is rooted to the ground just watching it. I mean, I I was more active from my couch than he was from the pitch. Rob Holding goes to sleep. The guy's been on the pitch five minutes. You're young, you're trying to make your name in the game. And you go to sleep in that situation. That's what allows the players to ghost in behind him and and get the second shot off. Only Permutisax is alert to the danger. ozo's walking. The fullbacks are making no move towards the ball. I, you know, I I love to talk technique and and uh, again hard factors, actual things taking place on the pitch. But was that the single biggest single biggest moment of a lack of? Desire that you have seen from an Arsenal team in recent memory, Clive? I mean, is, that, is it really that simple? Mm-hmm.
2: Or are there t- too, too many
1: to count? there's <laughs> yeah, too many to count. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
2: We know what we're like. We're We're not a great off-the-ball team. We have these moments where, where we have great focus like Man City away and Chelsea away and the semi-final and the cup final. The fact we can all quote them it tells you there's something in our DNA that's not quite correct we're not a great off the ball team what was telling about that snapshot I didn't notice at the time was that basically it was just our three central defenders in the box fighting for their lives and the rest of the team outside the box letting them just letting them deal with it And, um, and what for just creeping into our box and over having more people around the edge of the area than we did it just looks pretty poor I mean it's as a manager, a how do you respond?
1: It, he, you know, Arsene Wenger's going to presumably watch that video, even though he doesn't make his own team watch any video, and see a group of players not running, not working, not helping each other, not fighting to the last moment the ball goes in the back of the net. I mean, how how do you respond to that kind of reaction? What can you do
2: as a manager? It's, it's, it's just work rate, right? It's just, it's just work rate. We were outworked. And it's not the first time Watford has scored goals in the last minute. Um, I read. I just heard something on TV that Watford had zero players away for the for the international break, whereas we are. We no doubt we had nine or ten players away. Hey, look, it's, it's not. I'm, I'm not looking for excuses. We were outworked. We we've seen this before. This isn't a new thing. We've seen this before. The, the worrying thing last year, I remember talking about the Everton and Man City week, where it's very similar to this. Now, a year later, we're talking about Stoke and Watford, and uh, we haven't been to see it yet. And, um, yeah, we're going to Everton next week.
1: I, I mean, we, we, um, I'm going to tell you something. I genuinely believe we could have another 8-2 coming when we go to City.
2: Well, you know, you still don't know what's going to happen. The worrying thing is we're not creating anything. We don't look like creating anything. We haven't scored a goal in open play away from home. The only and good the news is I actually think
1: we play better against teams that push us back a little bit and force us into our own half, into our own defensive shape a little more.
2: It depends. It depends on so many things, right? It depends on who we've got out on the pitch. What mood they're in? Who's fit? Who's not fit? What's the weather doing? How long is the grass? You know, what what time do we get off the plane from the Europa League? What time to kick off? It depends on so many things, right? We all know it as Arsenal sort of followers and watchers. And within five minutes, we can we can all tell if we're up for it or not. If we're moving well, sometimes the second half failings they they surprise me at times. Um, I, I they always catch me out. I always get conned by the team. Uh, but you can you could feel this one just coming upon us, and um, it, it's really quite disappointing. But what's really concerning is our fitness levels were so poor, and I, I'm really concerned about our quality levels. You know, our, Arsenal may be soft, but they've always had quality. And this was a mediocre starting a lot eleven of for the most part. Yeah, this, yeah. I mean, this, this is, is mid-table. This is a this is a mid-table team, right? And um, I, I'm, I'm just going to say no magic. Okay. El
1: Neni, Shaka. Welbeck, Iwobi, that's mid-table. That is not fighting for the title quality. That is not consistent with what any of our rivals would put out on the pitch. And I realize we're we're missing Ramsey, and that's no Ozil, and that's no Alexis. But the manager's already said Ozil and Alexis could be off in January. I mean, this is what we're trending towards, a very, very mid-table-looking squad, especially at the pointy end.
2: Yep. And we've got this player, Lacazette, who's showing some real sparks of promise. And we're managing to create a narrative around him by taking him off so soon. We're now creating doubt. We're now starting to impact his confidence. I mean, the one thing that we've done is buy that forward that we've always wanted. And I hope we don't waste two years trying to find out how to use him.
1: Well, and I'm yeah, sorry. But you, you know how you give that guy confidence? You put players of who are even better than him. You put Mesidoso and you put Alexis Sanchez on the pitch with him and you have him all of his you know, synapses firing at the thought of being in the right spot to receive a brilliant Alexis through the ball or a brilliant Ozil through ball or to run a little harder because if he backheels it in the area, Alexis is going to be there to slam it in. That's how you get yeah. the best out of Lacazette. Not putting him out there with a hard-running but limited Danny Welbeck or a hard-running but limited Alex Awobi or midfielders who think that you know, seventy-six percent passing gets the job done, or a three-yard lateral pass gets the job done. It's just not good enough. I, and you
2: need to. I agree. I agree. You need to put them on there with like-minded individuals, and I and I need to see. We are coming to that point now. Maybe it's going to be Everton away, where we do need to see that three together. They are they are of the similar quality. You can see it. You don't need to be super smart to work out. There's a balance there. We can all see it. We can all see it. They can all move. They all look after the football. They all pop it quickly. And they can they can Lacassette's movement, they will be found. And I'm sorry.
1: I'm sorry, Clive, but this notion of well we gotta put players out there that wanna be at Arsenal. We gotta put players out there that wanna fight for the team. Well, I got news for you. It wasn't Alexis Sanchez staring at their second. Bought goal going in. It was Granit Chaka. It wasn't Mesut Ozil. Well, it was Mesut Ozil giving the ball away for their second. But it was also Rob Holding going completely to sleep as Troy Deeney ghosted in behind him. And how you miss Troy Deeney ghosting behind you is anybody's guess. So, I mean, Tim, look... This is this is the kind of stuff that makes the year types go nuts, right? I mean, this is the stuff that really gets people going vanger out and fuck them all and sell them all and change the team. It's it's not necessarily Mesedozo missing a chance because that can happen. It's four or five players standing around watching them get six chances to bang in their second. I mean, how hard is it when you're in the stadium and you paid to travel and you paid to be there? Not that it's any, you know, easier for, for me sitting on my couch, but is that the stuff that really turns the fans against the team is when it's such a blatant lack of effort as opposed to just lack of execution?
3: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And um, you'll always get that with uh, with British crowds in particular, but you'll get it with most crowds. And, and actually, even though we were very pedestrian for about 70, 65, 70 minutes or so, the kind of the away, the away crowd was still very, very behind the team. It wasn't until that last kind of 15, 20 minutes or so. And and usually, usually fans are very reactive um, depending on the result, you know, and depending on on what happens when goals are scored. But honestly, this this started just a couple of minutes before that Watford equaliser. And I know um, the conversation my friends and I were having. We were going because for the whole game I'm kind of standing there going if if Watford if Watford like figure this out I think we're in some trouble and there was just that sign that they just like you know brought it up a notch and whether you know whether that was Troy Deeney coming on or whatever I, I don't really know but you just got this sense that um, that Watford were prepared to bring it up a notch. And maybe that was their game plan all along. Because, as Clive said, very few of their players went away on internationals. Loads of ours did. And maybe his game plan was, let's keep it tight, stay in the game. In the last 20 minutes, we can probably have them. But th- there was just this real sense. And honestly, the second the penalty went in, it, like everyone I was sitting with went, we're going to lose this now. And, that, and like that isn't just um, kind of, you know, uh, football fan pessimism kicking in. We really, really felt that if there was going to be an equaliser, there would be a winner to follow it. it. It just, whether, you know, how much that that comes down to desire, how much that comes down to fatigue, I don't know. We can debate it all day. But then when you know you, you look back at, at the goal we concede, the winning goal, it's a bit like, well, yeah, Mesut Ozil, he does that. Um Right well, I say right, you're wrong, it's wrong, as, as I said earlier, but that that's kind of what he does. You're not massively surprised by that. But you know, the the clip of Granite Jacker just standing there, I don't believe that's who Granite Jacker is. Um, you know, we spent most of last season kind of complaining because he would do anything, usually by foul means, but by fair means or foul to stop players going past him. And he was picking up cards, he was picking up yellow cards and red cards because You know, he was panicking because he didn't want people going past him. You know, I I don't believe that that's Granite Xhaka's character. I don't believe he's the kind of guy ordinarily who just stands there and watches a winning goal go in. But there is something about this team, about this club in that dressing room at the moment that is turning players that I I don't think are like that. But, you know, obviously we don't really know what it is, but we can see it on the pitch. Mm Mm-hmm. And you know, I know we're gonna to come to comments and stuff like that. How many interviews is this manager going to listen to where his own players say they wanted it more than we did? I mean, it's honestly, one thing when yeah, Theo
1: Theo out of touch Walcott is saying it. It's another thing when it's your club captain, academy manager and a hugely experienced World Cup winner.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And your kind of trusted looter your exactly, your club your club captain who is about to become your academy manager. That's how much of a club man he is. And you know what? Any manager with some professional pride would just resign if he kept hearing his players saying that. And Arsene Wenger must know that. But unfortunately, he's scared to retire and he's he's just being a bit selfish at this stage. And that means more to him than the welfare of the club. Because if I was a manager and three, four times in six months, my players, not only that it was evidently happening in front of my eyes, but that they felt that it was appropriate and they felt, comfortable even to come out and say that i I, you know i i'd I'd resign i'd just say right i i can't do it with these players Well, he had the
1: opposite reaction to theo he just basically stopped playing yeah i mean but but this is really an in-your-face thing to say and i you know i mean when you combine it with what Troy Dini's saying, and you combine it with what Chesney's come out with this week, and you combine it with what Myrta Sacker said and what previous players... The picture that's being painted is an unprepared side whose quality has dropped and aura has been lost and whose players are losing the hunger to fight for it. And when you when you combine those things, the rot setting in is not such a surprise. Clive, I mean, you talk a lot about the, the appearance of the club, the outward perception of the club. This is... This is your pulpit. Have at it.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what's? I mean, again, we're, we're starting to say things that are incre- incredibly obvious now. But what's becoming really apparent, and Tim touched on it, is that the man has stopped improving players. You know, he really has. I look at you know when you, when things are not going well in your. Garden, you look in next door neighbor's garden, right? And their grass always looks better than yours, right? So I look around, and I'm thinking, okay, I look at someone like Christian erickson A couple of years ago, he was a weak player. He now he's def- he's so much stronger physically. He can he can work off the ball. I don't think christian Erickson would have missed that chance like Mesa or did for lack of conviction. And, and and he's got more power in his shooting more decisiveness in his movements. And I think Erzul's one of my favourite players I've ever seen. But it didn't surprise me with the meekness of that shot. It didn't surprise me. There wasn't the conviction there. There wasn't just strength, the power. And I I long for that. I long for a team with players that say, yeah, if you want it with me, I'm going to have it with you. Yeah, and and I I tell you, I just people like Vieira. I mean, football's not like that anymore in the same way. But there's different ways to do it about how you move, about how you press, your intensity, the messages you send to your opponent that says, "Don't mess with me. I'm going to take you for a run. I'm going to turn you. I'm going to pop it. I'm going to go the other side. I'm going to run your legs off. I'm going to send you backwards. When we go into a challenge, I'm going to go through you. I'll take one." I'm going to take one for you. Then well, I'm going to move away, and my mate's going to come in and do it as well. And that is a big part of football. And we just don't do that. When we're confronted, we fall away. And you look around and there's nothing there. There is nothing there. And, you know, most fans are brought up in England where you have to fight for the right to play. And everyone knows if you fight our they will fall away and that I find that really hurtful it really bothers me when I hear the comments this weekend I just wanted to punch the TV screen I just wanted to punch anybody and, and, but then I look at the players and I can see Martin Keown thinking well if they said that to anywhere near me they'd, they'd get it but who's and he's thinking? Well, you know what? There's no one in there that's going to do that. There's no one in there with that sort of mentality, and it, and it goes back to the point. I, I find myself agreeing with Keon quite a lot. Actually, it makes me wonder what type of players are we buying, and are we buying the right type of players? And you know, if you look at Marco Silva, he's bought six or seven players in. He's up the speed, he's up the physicality, he's up the ability to compete and he's sitting in the table above us with far less resources and they're looking over the hedge on the Watford training ground today and they're laughing. Mm-hmm. They're laughing at all the resources that we have, our 200 million pound wage bill. And yes, the cars in our car park are probably a little bit nicer. But you know what? We've got where where is our desire and urgency to really show these teams that they can't do that? So yeah. um,
1: it's it's not there. And I'll tell you something. I mean, I think the most worrying thing is if you look at all of our games this season, they've followed a similar pattern. Not all of them, but a lot of them, the the the. Europa League games, the Carabao Cup games, this Watford game, about 60 minutes or 50 minutes of us kind of s- with that sterile domination before the opposition realizes this is a pillow fight. They can't hurt us. And if we just press yeah. them a little in midfield and we step up a little bit, we can have them. And that that's really worried. T- Tim, it sounded like you wanted to jump in on that.
2: Yeah, I,
3: I, and I think kind of, uh, you know, with uh, with Troy Dean's comments, it's quite interesting in that they've really annoyed some people. And I, and I get why, because it's perhaps a little unprofessional and probably a bit classless to go on TV and then just say, <clears throat> yeah, Pear Mertzacker wasn't up for it, and, that, you know, that's a bit out of order. Well, I think but, it's also
1: um, a, a little bit of the, they can't do that to our pledges, only we can do that to our pledges.
3: You know yeah, I mean? <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. And, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% on board. And, you know, uh, and this, this segment is about, you know, hard factors v. soft factors. And I know that um, usually the hard factors explain at least 90 to 95 percent of why your team is good, bad or indifferent. You look at Manchester City, they don't have many ballers or shouters or big men, but they impose themselves on the game with their technique and their quality, which is which is what Arsenal did once upon a time. And we had that little bit of physical in reserve if we needed it. Um, but largely, it was about the quality of the play, um, which is which is what City do. But the, listening to Dean's comments, I, you know, I'm not even sure I 100% agree with them. I, I do think it's a little bit kind of, um, you know, it's just easy to say that. type why is after the
1: why after the fact? Yeah,
3: yeah, and a lot of it is about you know Deany's being left out of the Watford team at the moment because Marco Silva doesn't really want that kind of player. That's not the um, the image that this team is built in and. A lot of it, I think, is a bit Troy Deeney saying, look, here I am, I'm still the captain, I'm still the man. But to me, the the point is not not whether it's even true what he said that, you know, Arsenal don't fancy it or whatever, because a, a lot of the time I don't think that's true. I think, you know, I, there are games, there are too many games where it happens, but by and large, I do think Arsenal can live with the physical stuff when their mind is on it. Yeah. But our, our problem is... Like for footballers, not so much for football fans. For footballers, perception is massive, and even the perception that Troy Deeney, whether he even if he's just you know blustering a little bit, that perception is exceptionally dangerous for us. That players even think that, whether it's top grade analysis or not, Troy Deeney thought that, and that made him give an extra five, ten percent with whatever limited skill set he's got, and you know. Other teams will watch that now and they'll think, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm gonna. So basically what we've done is we've made, we've already got this pretty terrible away record. We've made our next four or five away games even tougher because this perception, whether it's true or not, that Arsenal are soft and can be tested exists. And that's going to make those teams give, you know, Dini talks about the fear factor and I think he's right that it's not really there anymore. But this is even worse than that now because not only is there not the fear factor, but you've got like Dini Mouth and and by the way he thinks it's alright to do that. He doesn't think there's going to be any kind of consequences the next time he plays Arsenal. And he's probably right, because Aurelio Gomez made some fairly similar comments when they knocked us out the cup a couple of years ago. Yeah. And and that perception is exceptionally dangerous because it all it automatically makes games physically more difficult for us now just because Troy Deeney threw his weight around and then he went on TV and congratulated himself about it. That, that makes things really difficult for us and, and the yeah. fact that that perception exists is really damaging and you know we spoke a couple of weeks ago about um, Ozil, you know, saying oh I went to the German national team and the Germany players were saying what's wrong with Arsenal this is what people think of Arsenal now and whether it's true or not or whether it's an over-exaggeration almost doesn't matter because that perception, is it's important and it's dangerous.
2: Yeah, it, it is. It happened last year to him. It happened last year Tim, didn't it? With Everton and Man City that week, they did yeah. the same thing. They did the same thing that week. Once Everton worked it out, they sped up their game and ran through us and pushed us back and scored the two goals. And Man City did the same thing. Second half, we were great in the first half. They worked us out, up the speed, up the intensity, made us, made it more physical, made it faster, and we couldn't live with it. And here we are a year later, and now Watford are doing it to us. Not Man City with all their superstars,
1: but Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace did it to us too. I I mean, you know, that's the sad thing is it's. There are more and more of these games you can point to. Look, I think. As to Tim's point, hard factors are 90% of it and soft factors maybe 10% or less. But they start to merge together because when you talk about the things Chesney was saying, like at Arsenal they have just not shown videos of the opposition, we spend more time on that here. I really believe the more prepared a player is, the more that good preparation and tactics can shrink a talent gap or expand a talent gap. And I think that it was one thing when Arsenal could put out a dramatically more talented team that all the preparation in the world sometimes couldn't close that gap. But when you're putting out Iwobi and Welbeck and Elneny and Shaka and you're not showing them video and you're not preparing them for the game specifically and the other team knows what you're going to do and has has a better plan, that's going to cost you. And I, I think that's where the last 20 minutes of the game in particular can be problematic because at some point our team is just freestyling and then you realize we don't have a plan and I think that affects the individual players confidence but the the other thing this does and we'll just finish on this and, and Tim I know this is you know something you, I think that you agree with. Just the way people are ready to just discard, and maybe it's you know, Clive. You say something that's really intelligent—that we protect ourselves, that we say things that protect us emotionally. But the way people are ready to just discard an Alexis Sanchez. Oh, you know, if he wants out, fuck him. We don't need him. You know, sit him on the bench, play him in the reserves. You know, um, ultimately, I think we are too cavalier about players of that quality, and what it means that those players don't want to be at at, our, at Arsenal, and just how how important players like that are, and that. You, you're not going to get very far without attracting those players and if you don't show ambition and you don't show proper te- technical planning and, and coaching you're going to lose those players I mean are we seeing firsthand in a game like this the extent to which we really are limited in quality and how important someone like an Alexis Sanchez is to the squad
3: yeah absolutely I, I kind of tweeted this after the game that, um, that that's why I've never bought the kind of Oh Alexis and his his moody little face and his giving the ball away ten guy, times a game is is a massive problem for Arsenal because, um, but like what's he holding back? <laughs> you know, he's he's not holding back like a brilliant team in waiting. And the thing and the thing is as well when I say this, like I I understand why people make the argument because a decade ago I made the same one about Thierry Henry. I I wanted us to sell him um, a year before we did because I think he got to that stage where his ego was too big for the team. He was being a bit too moody. and But the important thing at that point was that we had um, 18-year-old Cesc Fabregas in the team. And I do think there was a little bit of Omri's nose being put out of joint because, you know, someone was threatening to take the throne from him. Um, but, you know, I was very much of the yeah okay I think we can I, th- I think we can afford to let Omri go and I think you know we let Fabregas kind of grow away from his shadow so I, I do understand why people make the argument but I, I look at this team at the moment and think well who, who, who's he holding back who, who's like who's going to suddenly emerge from you know Alexis's stroppy shadow um, I, I just don't see it and you know, I, I do think that Alexis is one of the foremost attackers in the world at the moment. Um, and once he goes, we're gonna we're gonna massively. Ma- I mean, we'd struggle anyway, but particularly the kind of the position we're in at the moment. And if we're not in the Champions League and blah blah blah, you know, it's it's gonna be massively, massively difficult to replace him and it's easy to, to create hypotheses and be wise after the event. but uh, And don't get me wrong, we've had plenty of poor performances with Alexis in the team, but I, I really don't think we'd have lost that game um, against Watford with him because I, I just think that's yeah. how good he is.
1: Of course he is. Given, of course he is. He'd have
3: given the ball away 10 times. Um, he'd have had a strop with someone. but scored two and score. made <laughs> Exactly.
1: Beat well, and look, here's the other problem. Look, it's not just about Uh, wanting it more and style and talent it's about uh, the qualities you have on the pitch and we don't have anyone that can kind of create their own offense if you know what I mean it's about Um,
2: it's about the intensity we lack an intensity of movement ball oriented intensity (laughs) we just so so if you're not going to be super intense and, and tricky and physical you've got to have that in your team and we just don't have that when the ball comes to his feet it's just moved quickly gone people are stepping back people are attracted to him which means someone else has got space other people feel more confident they feel like they're going to get the ball's going to come through him But critically they he has the runs. eye and
1: the touch to then deliver that ball i mean a you know, Woby yeah, exactly. can move a few people around but he doesn't really have the 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 next
2: He move. doesn't. But he's... Awobi is one of our better players on the day and he tried his best and he nearly scored the winner and, and he's on the way up. The worrying thing is we haven't got those 24-year-olds you hear you talk about that are, that are good enough, physical enough, powerful enough, technically enough to allow the Awobis to flourish without the pressure that's heaped upon them. He shouldn't be under this level of pressure. It's at a great point. He, he's like... You know, someone like Jesse Lingard is not expected to carry.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. It's a really good point.
2: We expect Iwobi to carry us. And when he doesn't do it, we let him have it. We want Jack on. So what happens when he doesn't do it or gets tackled? We can let him have it. When Ramsey doesn't do it, I, I do it as well. When Nenny doesn't do it, we let him have it. We don't know who to blame. But what we can say is we're lacking quality. And all of those players are part of the problem, which makes me think, are we buying the right players? Are we buying the right level? Are we doing talent identification correctly? I don't think we are. I don't think we're anywhere near where we need to be. And we don't need to go around kicking people as a reaction to Watford, but there needs to be a level of technical intensity and purpose on and off the ball that we lack. But then you switch back to Chelsea, small pitch. We had all of that. And more, and we look fantastic, and we all loved it. So, we can do it where we feel like it, but we can't do it in a sustained way. And this team is trapped around 78 points. We need to find another 10 points to get in the top Well, four. Not, not this season, and, we're not. I can't uh, and I
0: fucking
2: I'm telling that. you, we, we, we need, and Watford and, and Stoke are just sitting there. That's two points gone minimum two points gone we should have won one of those games potentially so we need to pick up these points especially around the Europa League games and that's how we're going to make differential up to where we were last year mm-hmm. and, and we're not doing it right and um and we and the, the horizon does look gloomy I'm afraid well
1: and look I mean I mean at some level the mood in the club can be determined by the position in the in the table and if that's three points we're on 16 points, we're sitting fourth, we're above Chelsea, we're above Liverpool. And as shit as we might be or might not be, you're in fourth, you're above Chelsea, you're above Liverpool, and you're giving yourself a chance. And dropping points like that just kills that opportunity because coming up next in the Premier League, it's at Everton, home to Swansea, at City, home to Spurs. It's, it's a possibility of three out of 12 points. I mean, it's not great. And so... You know, you know how quickly a, cri- a, a loss can turn into a crisis at Arsenal. Well, how quickly can four losses from five games turn into a crisis? And, and at what point does the season come completely off the rails? Which leads back to my opening uh, joke of the pod, which is we may have to put all our eggs in the Europa League basket, as it turns out. I just think when you're short on quality, you have to make up for that with preparation. You have to make up for that with commitment. You have to make up for that with coaching, with proper substitutions. It, it, all the deficiencies were on show on this day, and unfortunately, they've been on show way too often. I mean, our, our away record, as I mentioned earlier, I think is is tied with teams like West Ham um, over the last year, so it's it's not looking good. We do have Europa League in midweek, and it'll be interesting because it's... Are we away? Are we at Bel, uh, Belgrade, I believe? Yes. 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 So it's in right. Serbia. It's not a good place to have to go to play a game uh, on the back of a loss. It's not a good place to have to go to play a game anytime. Um, it'll be our hardest game in the group, and we're probably going to have to rotate pretty substantially, but it's just one of those times where another loss can start to build a narrative around the team that is already people are already predisposed to. So we'll see what happens. Uh, if nothing else, it's a good chance for ex-players and and pundits to pipe up and, and tell us all the things wrong with Arsenal that we haven't already covered. In any event, uh, we'll still be here. You know that's that's the worst thing about it. Uh, Tim is on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure. Clive's on Twitter, Clive P-A-F-C, where the P stands for Please Can We Win a Game. Thanks,
2: Clive. <laughs> Thank you very much.
1: My name's Elliot Smith, me on Twitter. Give us a five-star review and write nasty things about Paul in the comments section. You've been waiting to. You've been holding back. Don't hold back anymore. Write the nasty things about Paul. We'll be back uh, after the trip to Serbia, which, Tim, I understand you are not making.
3: No, 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 I'm not going. So yeah. we
2: well,
1: it? you know, fair weather fan, you still get to be a fan, that's fine. Um, <laughs> I, I imagine that you will... Uh,
2: he's lost it, he's lost it. Where's the commitment?
1: It, it, to took our, it, it took Arsene Wenger 20 years to kill you, but he killed you.
2: That's good. Uh, eventually.
1: <laughs> um, no, I imagine there's, there's a reason that is uh, less funny, but we won't dive into it. In, in any event, hopefully we will then be able to get your uh, thoughts on the match afterwards. So... Yes. For the the listener, it is a boon. In any event, we appreciate you guys being on. We appreciate everybody for listening. Uh, We love the Arsenal, and we love the chance to discuss the Arsenal through thick and thin. In any event, uh, we will talk to you after the trip to Belgrade.